Today, we're talking to Anthony Chuli of Iterable about his running career, his legs, and more about his legs. We're getting great advice on why passion projects are worth the risk, and we're missing hearing from you. I'm Zachary Ballinger, and this is The Tick. Today, I have with me the sexiest legs in marketing, Anthony Pioli of Iterable, uh, a story that I cannot wait to, to get into. Um, thanks for being with me, Anthony. How are you? I'm well, Zachary. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So I like to start the show with just, let's, let's get back to the very, very beginning. Where are you from and where are you now? I was born in a small town called Carrollton, Georgia. Uh, which is just west of Atlanta, and quickly moved to Memphis, Tennessee when I was four, um, and basically grew up in Memphis up until um, post-high school and uh, came out to the University of Colorado in Boulder uh, for <clears throat> for college and have been here ever since. Awesome. So what's the difference between Memphis and, and uh, Colorado, Boulder specifically? Uh, what did you ask? What is the difference? Yeah. What's the biggest difference outside of not having Justin Timberlake? Uh, well, when you are at an intersection here in Boulder and you look down, there's no cigarette butts on the ground. Um, the other biggest difference that I've noticed is, uh, you can go grocery shopping here in Boulder and spandex and a biking Jersey and a helmet on, and no one will bat an eye at you. So, uh, other than the geographic differences between obviously Memphis and Boulder, there's some uh, very interesting quirks about Boulder. Very interesting stereotypes that that certainly hold true. Sure, Memphis has taken a beating in this interview already. <laughs> <laughs> so you went to the I University of Colorado. I did. I did. I uh, ended up getting a scholarship uh, to run cross country and track here. So in high school, I was an avid runner back in Memphis and was uh, fortunate enough to uh, receive a scholarship offer to see you to run. So that's what brought me out West. That's awesome. And r- runners train in Colorado, right? I mean, that's, that's, you get that high altitude training. That's, that's great for running, right? It is. It's a, uh, it's certainly a Mecca and a destination for um, not only for running, but for, for athletics in general, there's a large contingency of triathletes, um, and endurance sports athletes that take advantage, as you mentioned, of, of the altitude were a mile above sea level here, um, as well as just the extensive trail networks that intertwine along the front range. Do you feel like you had a huge, huge advantage when you like ran at someone else at a lower altitude? Like the, (laughs) it is a really interesting feeling. So, um, the day after I graduated high school, I moved out here and uh, sublet a, a place with a, uh, uh, a guy named Jared Sanchez that was on the team just to get as many days in the summer under my belt at altitude before my freshman year. And it sucked. Um, <laughs> coming from sea level up to altitude and trying to train and keep up with guys is, uh, is not a pleasant experience. Uh, but yes, after you acclimate, which takes, um, which takes quite a long time, actually, uh, 
when we would go back down to sea level races or meets, um, it's hard to explain. You just feel like you have another gear. And so there's, there's certainly a, a noticeable difference training at altitude. So did that translate to, I mean, how, how'd your college career go in terms of, you know, we'll get to the marketing stuff later. I, I really care about this right now. So how did, how did that career go in terms of like accolades? Did you, did you win anything big or, you know, was it, I mean, it's wildly competitive. I mean, University of Colorado is a division one school and uh, I noticed you ran indoor and outdoor track. So, I mean, you were running all the time. How, how'd that translate? It was, it was arguably the best four years of my life. Um, being a part of the distance program and the middle distance program at CU is something that I'll never forget. Um, the, the Colorado Buffaloes are a notorious program, um, very rigid and, and kind of a no bullshit program, uh, but they've got the trophy case to, to back it up. So we won during my tenure there from 2003 to 2007, we won two national championship titles in cross country. Wow. Um, uh, we were a part of the big 12 conference, uh, back then. Now we're a part of the PAC 12 conference. Um, but personal accolades, um, I ran, let's see, I ran a 402 mile, which still hurts because I never broke four. It was very close. Um, I ran, uh, the thousand, meters indoors and uh was conference champion my junior year um made it to nationals a handful of times but uh, no personal accolades beyond a, a a conference championship in in my junior year i mean a conference championship is incredible and i was actually i was looking to see if you broke four and in, in some of my research and you had a three i think your personal best was a 354 but it was a, it was a 1500 and i was just like who runs 1500 indoor track is such a weird thing <laughs> Yeah, it is. It's hard for, for folks that, uh, that aren't, you know, in the, in the running community, but, um, outdoors, you run the 1500 meter, um, indoors, you run the true mile. So oh, interesting. Um, I, I was always, I mean, in high school I ran, um, so not college, but I, I ran the opposite was as outdoor was 1600 and then indoor you didn't run cause that wasn't a sport. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a very shrunkated season here. Um, indoor track for us is like a basically a glorified two and a half month endeavor. So um, we use it more or less as kind of a bridge training program between uh, the fall, which is cross country season, mm -hmm. uh, and the spring and the summer, which is which is outdoor track. All right, I guess we can get back to format, but I'm very curious about your running career and and at altitude. Um, Okay. So you're going through college. You, you are, you're majoring in, uh, let's see if I can get this right. You're at the college of business. You majored in marketing and entrepreneurship and you got your certificate in entrepreneurship, um, specifically from a, a separate college, uh, within the university, I assume. Um, where did that lead you straight out of college or, or even during college? Yeah. So, um, the lead school of business was our, uh, business school at, at university of Colorado. Mm -hmm. Um, they they did have basically like a minor track that you could special they called it a specialization instead of a minor but it was for lack of a better term it, it was more or less the same so mm -hmm. uh you choose your your kind of your major track which in my case was was marketing um and then a focus or a specialization and i uh, was really interested in in small business and entrepreneurship uh, so part of that certificate requirement for the, the entrepreneurship um, specialization was you had to get a internship 
with a small business or entrepreneur um, in order to complete that track and receive your certification. So my junior year here in Boulder was looking around for a small business and an entrepreneur, a small business and a, a, an entrepreneur to uh, to try and get an internship with. And there was this small, funky rubber shoe company called Crocs. Uh, that was in a town called Niwot. It's just outside of Boulder. And I knew nothing about Crocs. This was way before Crocs became this global phenomenon. And I still remember going to the interview. Um, I was interviewed by this gentleman named Tim Gray, who I still keep in contact with today. He's actually, uh, he works at Twilio Syngrid now. Uh, And I wore a suit from my roommate that was, way too big. So um, I looked like David Byrne, you know, in, in his infamous overdressed suits. And I remember sitting down and, you know, at that point, like I didn't really have anything on my resume other than, um, you know, being a student athlete and, and washing pots and pans at my local dorms cafeteria for, for a summer job. And uh, the internship was very vague. It was just this like marketing internship. It was very anonymous. It wasn't very specific, but I didn't care. And I ended up getting an internship with Crocs. And lo and behold, the first assignment that I was put on is they signed a exclusive sponsorship with the AVP, uh, which if you're not familiar, that's the Association of Volleyball Professionals. That's the beach volleyball circuit. Yes. And that summer, my junior year, I was flown around to beaches in the most beautiful parts of our country to do sponsorship activation uh, and and market Crocs, a part of this newly licensed and exclusive sponsorship. So what a dream come true for me. But um, that was kind of my journey uh, during college and then right after college was was with Crocs, which was a really cool experience. So before we dive into that, because I have a thousand more questions and I've got images that uh, I'm going to share with, <laughs> with our listeners. Uh, but how often did were you flown to Hermosa Beach in California for beach volleyball? <laughs> yeah, Hermosa Beach, Manhattan Beach. Yeah, um, oh yeah, there was yeah numerous destinations. Uh, you know, those are the infamous volleyball beach volleyball kind of capitals uh, of our country. Um, it, I think we went to Hermosa. This was years ago, probably twice a year on the circuit, and Manhattan Beach at least once or twice. So we were in that stretch of beach on the coast at least four to five weeks during the, um, during the tour itself. And, and they're not that far uh, from each other. So it, it kind of works out. I mean, you can sort of take a nice little jump yeah. north and, and get yeah. there. You can, you can ride a cruiser bike from, from one to the other along the, uh, the little pedestrian path there. So yeah, what a, what a cool experience. And um, I remember thinking to myself, you know, like the professor's always saying, wait until you get in the real world and, wait until you have a real job. And I kept thinking like, man, I should have, I should have quit college sooner. If this is, <laughs> this is what the real world is like, I'm getting paid to fly around and work in board shorts and sandals and a t-shirt on the beach. Um, I, you know, I, I was in heaven. It was, it was a remarkable first experience out of college. Sure. Sure. So you got, you so you got hired by them, right? So you had the internship and then they finally brought you on board. What was your like first title with, with Crocs? Um, yeah, so I signed on with them um, right after college, so after my my senior year, and, and during the course of that year, I would find like local events that they would 
need help with on the weekends mm. if I could swing it. Um, I think, gosh, I think my title was like marketing brand ambassador or, or something along those lines. Um, you know, after they went public, um, if memory serves, I think they had the largest IPO in, in shoemaker history, right? So like wow. more than Adidas, more than Nike. And the, the Crocs phenomenon blew up, right? Um, I remember they signed on a, a series of new sponsorship activations. Um, they did a license with the NCAA, with all the major league sports divisions, NFL, MLB. Uh, they even signed a deal with um, NASCAR. Uh, so we, they ended up buying like a fleet of commercial vehicles, including like a, an Airstream Skydeck RV that had this like interactive component that would fold out and all these crazy over the top um, kind of marketing activation uh, experiences. And we would go to, I remember going to the Super Bowl, uh, NASCAR events, which I had no idea how crazy and large NASCAR was. Um, we would do local college football games. We would do uh, events at ski resorts. I mean, it kind of ranged the gamut of, of events and, and kind of that life, lifestyle market that they were focused on. Uh, and we would drive around the country and, and do this. And it was, uh, it was myself and a, and a handful of guys and gals. And it was like the great American road trip <laughs> on someone else's dollar out of college. And it was, it was some of the best years of my life for the sure. Absolute <laughs> dream. Right. So how, how different is the audience from, you know, the AVP you're, you're going watching and, and sponsoring <laughs> to NASCAR. <laughs> is that cool? Yeah. I mean, if there, if there was any total ends of the spectrum, that would be it. Um, it, 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 if you've never, like, I'm not a fan of NASCAR, I'll be honest, but I, That's I have to appreciate, podcast, I, I, have, I have to appreciate the, the size and scale and marketability of a NASCAR event. I mean, you're talking like every fortune 500 company is, has their logo on a car. Um, there's these massive million dollar sponsorship activations and experiences that are being built in the parking lots. Cause it's, it's like, it's a whole week type of an event. It's not like mm -hmm. a single day. And there's hundreds of thousands of people that attend these races. And so the impressions and just the, you know, potential revenue are gigantic. So, um, yeah, if I had to choose, obviously beach volleyball is, is more up my alley and, and more my vibe, but, um, you know, the, the NASCAR circuit and tour was, was certainly something that I'll never forget. Yeah. I think that's, that's, I mean, obviously I live in, in Indianapolis, so we've, we've got the, the Indy 500 and, and the Brickyard. We, we know our racing events relatively well. And I think one thing that's really lost, and I'm not a fan of racing at all, uh, one of my really great friends and, and co-founders at Casted is, is a big IndyCar fan and, and F1 fan. But, um, you know, I think the big thing that's lost in racing and that like, people forget is that it's not like a football game where you know, every Sunday there's a game and you're going to watch your team or, or whatever. These are actual events. There is no home crowd. So like when it comes to your city, it is once a year, um, you know, per league or whatever it is. And they build that week 
up. I mean, the Indy 500 is still one of the largest events in Indianapolis. Uh, if not the, I don't know, say one of the largest. I'm pretty sure it's the largest event in Indiana. And it is monstrous and it's fun. And I don't even care about racing, but I'll go and I'll watch, you know, Cool and the Gang have a concert there for some reason. It, it's wild. I, racing is a wild experience, I think, for, for anyone. You should go no matter how much you d- dislike racing because I think it's a it's a fun event, especially for marketers where you see, just like you said, like real eyeball impressions, real ability to connect with consumers. It, it, it's fascinating. Yeah, it is. <clears throat> You're skirting around the, the, the importance of Crocs here, Anthony. At what point did they see you in shorts and they say, oh my God, we've got to get those legs on camera because you were a Crocs leg model. Yes. And I appreciate, you call, my, like, I appreciate you calling it a leg model, not a model because <laughs> the, the, the podcast would go off the rails if you were a foot model. We're going to call it a leg model. I appreciate that way more. Tell me about that experience. When did, when were they like, oh my God, Anthony Chioli, those legs are, they're Adonis leg and I need to see them in Crocs. I don't know if it went down just like that, but I appreciate <laughs> the flattery. Um, yeah, this is always like my my go-to two truths and a lie uh, <clears throat> example. But um, obviously, I, I ran at the University of Colorado. I was, I was fairly fit. And um, I remember there was this this project, this like this photo shoot that was uh, that was uh, going around at, at Crocs. And they were kind of like calling for volunteers to be a part of this. I think it was a new campaign they were launching around like recovery right so like you work Mm. out or you go biking or running and you want to just take off your shoes and slip into something super comfortable and so that was kind of the the angle they were going for with this new campaign and so they um, did this photo shoot to capture kind of like an and humanize people um with that market in mind and and you know we're doing print ads and and digital ads and um you know a bunch of different content and collateral and I, I think someone had nominated me to be honest, um, and I was, I was jazzed to do it because I was like, "Cool, this is a you know a once in a lifetime experience." And I remember, I vividly remember we, we did the shoot and at at the uh, at the headquarters of Crocs in, in Niwak, Colorado, and the, I believe the photographer was the guy that um, he was either like the photographer or one of the photographers for the Colorado Avalanche. And he came out <clears throat> and uh, it was me and like, it was honestly like a very organic and homegrown shoot. So it was, it was just all like Crocs employees and like one guy brought his bike. Um, you know, there was other like props that they would, that they would use. Uh, but I, I wore my, my infamous, you know, short running shorts and uh, you know, I had shaved my legs during my college sure. career as most, most runners do. Got to have aerodynamics. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, I got to wear the, you know, the the um, the infamous, uh, you know, clogs with the holes, like the the OG Crocs that they started with, uh, a part of that shoot. So it was cool because, um, you know, my I think my mom still has like one of their, like there was a marathon that we sponsored, and they always do those like booklets, like welcome guide things, and uh, we had like you know this this photo shoot or this 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 photo ad in the magazine. And I think my mom still has saved a copy of that uh, to, to rant and rave to her neighbors about her son. So to, to date, still ranting and raving to her neighbors. Yeah. 
about yeah. you. Um, <laughs> listeners to the to the tech, we're, I'm not going to let you go without seeing some of these amazing pictures. So they'll they'll be in the related resources uh, below on on the page um, because. Anthony sent them to us or Anthony's mom. We're not really sure who sent them to us, but we, we got a hold of the pictures and, and we're super excited. Um, man, we're still so early in your career. Let's let's keep going. Cause I, you know, you and I actually met, I think way deeper in your career. Um, and I want to, I want to find out how you, how you got there. So, you know, you, you've done the modeling, you're too big for Crocs now they IPO, but like Anthony Chioli needs more. Where did you go? Yeah. I'll walk you through the journey. So, um, after being on the road for a better part of a year and sleeping in hotel rooms and living that type of, of lifestyle, I just got burnout and it had been a good run with Crocs. And, um, I decided to look for another opportunity. And my, my next gig was with a company called active network. Um, I'm not sure if they're, <clears throat> if they're still called that, they, I think they may have gotten acquired since then, but uh, most people know Active Network by like active.com, which is um, kind of the go-to registration platform for any type of an event. So Active Network was in the business of online registration management. So I was a business development rep at Active. Uh, they had an office uh, here in Boulder and I was just focused on like new leads and converting new leads to bookings. Um, I stayed there for, you know, as a desk job, kind of entry level out of college desk job, learned a lot. I uh, was there for, I think, around two years. Um, and then where I started to kind of cut my teeth in the digital marketing space was, was my next career move was to return path, which is mm. a, um, a, you know, very well-known email deliverability and analytics vendor uh, recently acquired last summer. Uh, they had been in business, um, you know, up until their acquisition last year for, I think about 20 years. And so oh, yeah. I came in and inside sales, um, you know, again, more of kind of an entry level job, uh, then went to like an account coordinator position and then an account manager position. Um, and I was there for, gosh, I think like, like two to three years and moving up and, that is where I kind of immersed myself into the world of email marketing, right? So that's all about email optimization and deliverability. Um, so that was kind of where I cut my teeth and um, was a was a huge opportunity for me. And as most people within digital marketing, I kind of just fell into this email track or this email space. Sure. Um, I know from what that's there, like. I made yeah, right. Most people uh, <clears throat> most people don't major in and email marketing or digital marketing, it seems. <laughs> um, and then I went to um, to Salesforce. So right after uh, the exact target acquisition, which uh, I know is is right down the street from you guys there in Indianapolis, um, I went to Salesforce Marketing Cloud um, to help build out their deliverability services team. And that was a really, really fun experience. Loved working for Salesforce. Uh, what an amazing company that is. That is to date um, still one of their most important teams and, and you helped build it. So I, I don't want that to be lost on anyone. That That's incredible. Um, so yeah, I just want to throw that interject. You're, you're being too humble here. <laughs> yeah, I mean, deliverability is, um, you know, something that I think every marketer knows about and oftentimes isn't a priority or isn't important until shit hits the fan and then we sure. become your best friends. Um, 
so yeah, it was a cool experience. I, I think there was two or three people there when I was hired. Um, I actually came on with a very good friend of mine, uh, Demeter Batmazian, uh, who also was at Return Path, and we we essentially put in our two weeks at the same time and and went and joined Salesforce's deliverability services team on the same day. Um, and yeah, I, super proud of the work that we did while we were there, and, and really planting the flag of, of deliverability services, building out packages and pricing, uh, and really kind of carving out our, our practice as a as a, a valuable discipline for for marketers and doing a lot of pre-sales enablement and work. So um, after Salesforce, there was a really cool opportunity. So Salesforce was kind of where I matured in my career. I started really making inroads in the network, started to work with a lot of marquee brands and big logos. Um, and really, it, it you know, reflecting back is kind of where I came into my own uh, as an individual, as, as a professional. Um, and through that experience, there was an amazing opportunity with another company that I know you're familiar with, uh, based <laughs> in Indianapolis, uh, called 250OK. Indianapolis um, is really the and, hub of, of email marketing. I, I don't think that people realize it, but um, yeah. And I actually want to, I'm going to pause before we get to 250OK, because this is where um, we fit, we actually physically uh, intersect. And this podcast actually isn't about my intersection with marketers, but I think this is fascinating to me because you started at Return Path, uh, where my my wife had worked. Um, and I know Matt Bloomberg um, through my wife who, who worked at, at Return Path. And Matt um, is an incredible person. And, and I've uh, meeting him was amazing. And, and I think that he did an amazing thing for that company. And um, I just want to give some praise to CEOs who usually get a lot of shit for no reason. I think that Matt was incredible. Um, your opinion, uh, better match mine because that, that'll make for a weird podcast otherwise. But then you go to Salesforce after they get or exact target Salesforce marketing cloud right after they had been acquired by Salesforce. And I was actually at exact target, um, at during the acquisition. So we, we had so many opportunities in our career to actually intersect and meet each other. And we didn't until 250 OK. Um, and 250 OK, I'll let you talk about it a little bit more. But I, I really want to hear about um, email on tap. So take your story to email on tap because I have so many questions. Yeah, so I, I joined 250 OK as the director of product marketing. Um, I think they were about 40 people strong at that time. That was back in, uh, gosh, August of 2018. Um, and it was a it was a yin and a yang to what I was accustomed to at Salesforce. Salesforce was such a large and thick organization with you know many many different layers and many different departments. And 250OK was a bootstrap, very nimble, mm -hmm. and uh, very young company that was you know accelerating very rapidly and had huge opportunity in front of it. Um, when I was there, I still remember drafting an email to, to my boss and my peers with this idea of, you know, kind of riding the, the very, um, um, you know, trendy coattails of, of podcast, but doing it with video. And um, I had no AV background. I didn't know anything about podcast, honestly, or, or video production or interviewing. But I really thought, like, what a cool opportunity to try to, to humanize the brilliant minds in email marketing and, and create this very authentic and genuine experience by having, like, a very, you know, uh, um, um, 
informal one-on-one -on -one type of, of interview and recording it on video. Uh, because I think there's a lot of power in seeing the faces and seeing the people behind their names or their titles. Mm. Um, so I, I kind of pitched this idea internally. And, you know, 250OK was this really supportive company that said, love the idea. What do you need? You know, write a brief. What do you think you need for budget? And we just went for it. And um, we, you know, fast forwarding, if you will, I think... I think uh, we had 20 episodes before I um, stepped over to, to Iterable uh, in, in April of this year. Um, and we interviewed thought leaders and brand side marketers and, and influencers in the space, um, you know, in numerous different cities. So we took this thing on the road. Uh, I served as, as, uh, as host, as interviewer, um, as well as kind of executive producer. So the, the cool thing about this series is, uh, which if, if anyone's familiar that's listening with this series, uh, you know, one thing that you may not know is there's no one behind the camera. Um, we used uh, a, 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 a camera unit, an audio unit called Mevo. It's M-E-V-O, which is a really slick piece of technology. But I sat there with my guest um, and I had an iPad and I would, create two static shot angles and then toggle back and forth and live edit the recording of mm -hmm. our interview as we interviewed. So it was kind of the, you know, the analogy I used to use is like when you were a kid where you would ask to like pat your head and rub your tummy at the same time. <laughs> um, it, you had to, you had to focus on directing the camera, being articulate and asking intelligent question questions listening to responses to provide you know, genuine like follow-up questions all at the same time. And it was, it was like from soup to nuts, we would just lay it down and record it and then upload it and then add like bumpers and, and um, you know, some, some graphics at the end. But uh, the cool thing about that was it all fit in a backpack. So we would take this on the road to events, to different cities. Um, you know, I would, I would find guests ahead of time and, and lay down the logistics uh, and geez, we interviewed brand marketers from AARP to Land's End um, to um, Sherwin-Williams. We had members from Google, from Verizon Media Group. We filmed in Amsterdam. Um, we, it, it was a really cool passion project that was, was very successful and, and certainly hope to see it continue uh, with the folks at, at 250OK. Yeah, so my favorite episode of Email on Tap was actually Palm Springs. So you guys went to Etel West, and I thought the, the interviews that you did in Etel West in, in Palm Springs were amazing, specifically because every all retailers are just so loose at Etel West. It, it's such an amazing conference, and you know I I hope that conferences have the ability to exist again. Um, but you know that I loved it because a it's it's so sunny. Palm Springs is always so beautiful and it's, you know, mid February. So people are, are just so happy to see the sun and be in the warmth. And so you had I, I, at least two episodes that I've, I've come across of, of email on tap that are there. And I thought they were just amazing because I think people were just a little looser and they were willing to say just a little bit more than they normally were. It, do you hold those in high it's regard? Funny that you, 
Yeah, it's funny that you said Palm Springs because that was literally the first three episodes that we filmed. So oh, great. Those um, were awesome I episodes. Was, I was brand new. Um, you know, I think in one of them, like, there's a sun glare, right, from the sun <laughs> on the lens. So it was, you know, it was a – every shoot that we – that we did was um a learning experience um but yeah i think we interviewed um sherwin williams there we interviewed ironically uh jen capstroff from iterable mm-hmm. uh, which is a company i work for now Way in the um, and we also interviewed uh vic pepiot who is the um i think one of the co-founders of Frazy out in uh, out in the uk and she's she's brilliant so um yeah you know filming like this so the, the challenge with video especially at conferences is location and scouting locations because you never know what it's going to be like you can't scout ahead of time um it, you know there's there's lighting there's audio there's all these different challenges with with locations and filming on site at a conference and so um you know that was always one of the kind of the um you know the roulette type of variables of of trying to film because you don't want to get interrupted. You don't want noise audio in the background. That's, that's disruptive. Um, and lighting is super important. So all of these things, again, like I knew nothing about when I started, uh, but it, it is certainly a memorable experience and one that I'm really proud of. Oh, that's, that's fantastic. So, uh, you know, before we, we wrap, you're, you're now at iterable. Um, you started in April, which was about a month ago from when we're recording this. This is likely coming out in June, July. So, um, you know, we're getting a little ahead of the game here. But I, I'm curious, you know, what drew you there? I mean, the experience there, of course, um, you're, you're still getting into the swing of it. It's been a weird time since you started uh, just in the world. But what brought you to Iterable? Because, you know, they're popping up, I think, over the last three years. They've really become... Uh, really well known, I think, in the email marketing space. And I'm curious what you, who a veteran of the email marketing space, what was like, yeah, iterable is where I need to go next. Yeah. So, um, you know, I think every step of my current, my, my career and my journey, you end up, um, knowing a lot of, a lot more people in the space through conferences, through meetings, through being a customer, being a partner. Um, and, you know, the, the age old saying of it's all about relationships, I think, holds true in, in so many different things and, and certainly held true with my step to Iterable. Um, Iterable was a partner of 250OK. Um, they've got an office here in Denver, which is, uh, you know, like 20 minutes down the road from Boulder. Um, there was a handful of folks that I had crossed paths with uh, over the course of my career that were at Iterable that I had known or worked with or collaborated with. Um, and we also did a lot of local events together. Um, we did a handful of webinars together when I was at 250 OK. So I knew Iterable, um, I followed Iterable and, and they are a super innovative and disruptive company and kind of the growth marketing space and, um, a company that I, I certainly admired and, and wanted to be a part of. So, uh, when there was an opening on the product marketing team here, uh, iterable, you know, a funny story is when I first inquired, they, they said, we're not looking for any, any, um, remote employees because most of their marketing team, if not all of their marketing team is based in their headquarters in San Francisco. Mm. And so it's kind of devastated that door closed fairly quickly. Um, you know, a couple weeks later, 
the, the persistence in me emailed back the recruiter and said, look, I still see this rec open on your career page. I'm going to shoot my shot and ask again, would you consider someone at least in one of your local satellite offices? Because they have a fairly prominent office here in Denver. And um, with that follow-up, they, they were a little bit more flexible and that's when the interview process started. So um, the product marketing team here is fabulous. Uh, They're on kind of this rocket ship trajectory with growth. So it's a really great opportunity and also a you know, very challenging opportunity in a good way that there's a lot of opportunity here, uh, especially around the product marketing team. Um, so yeah, I, you know, right now I know this won't come out till the summer, but I'm on week three and it's been, uh, an incredible experience so far. Yeah. That that's awesome to hear, especially, you know, I'm also a somewhat of a veteran of the, the email marketing space. And so seeing all of this, um, you know, seeing people like, like interval and list track and there, you know, there's several more, not the list your competitors, but there's, there's so many that are popping up in, in what, um, you know, has, has long been called a saturated market, but you realize that it's saturated by, by companies, but not by innovation. And so seeing some of these really innovative companies, I think is, is just fascinating to me. And, and it's a uh, big applause. I always love when, when someone comes up, that's doing something really cool. Um, okay. So let's wrap up. I've got two big questions that I love to ask, uh, at the end. And the first one is, is somewhat advice that you're giving, uh, to pay attention to the experiences that, that people have, uh, in their, their career and in their journey. But first is what's some kind of seemingly unrelated experience, um, that you've had in your career or in your life that's actually really helped you with your career? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think for me, uh, you know, I, I reflect back to, um, out of college when I started and where I am now, I think the power of being genuine in relationships with anyone on a professional level um, is something that perhaps is often overlooked. Um, you know, if you're talking about burning bridges or just being a jerk or not being easy to work with. Um, and, and the reason I say that is, especially if you're staying in a relatively same space or industry, uh, there are people that I work with now at Iterable that I worked with right out of college, right? So 10, 15 years ago. Um, there are people that I, customers that I work with now that I used to work with during Salesforce days. And the power of like your name and your reputation in interacting with anyone, whether it be customers or colleagues or just professionals in this space, you know, every interaction you have, every touch point who you are genuinely as a person really matters and, and isn't necessarily forgotten. And I really pride myself in, in trying to be true to myself um, and also just be genuine in the, in the experiences that I have with people, even, even people that I may not enjoy working with, um, because it is, it is a very small world. And it's amazing to me that people move and people switch jobs and, um, it's a very dynamic career field in our space, and you never know when you're going to, going to be working with or working for uh, someone that you've run across in the past. So um, that is a piece of advice that I think um, I learned a little bit the hard way out of college, uh, but certainly reflect back now and, and try to stay true to moving forward. Fantastic. And then the last question that we have as, as we wrap, um, this show is called The Tick. 
Um, and the tick is the, the last three letters of the word authentic. And that's why we made it this way. So what's the most authentic thing that's happened to you in the last week? Oh, authentic thing that's happened to me in the last week. Um, I would say, so I've got a, a four and a six year old. Um, my son Roman is six and uh, my daughter Stella is four. Um, they're both home from school, obviously with, with COVID going on and through the summer. Um, the other day I was on a bike ride with both of my kids uh, and we were riding on this trail near a house and uh, they spotted this great horned owl in a tree along Cole Creek, which, first of all, I don't know how my son saw it. It's up in a tree and it's pretty camouflaged. Um, but B, they're super rare. Uh, and so we're sitting there on our bikes, the three of us, uh, late afternoon, watching this really amazing creature uh, in a tree. And I remember my son turning to me and, and you know, paraphrasing, saying like, how cool of an experience it was and telling me that verbally made me like pause my my thought process and take in what what likely will be a lifelong memory for him um and so as as crazy as the world has become with covid and with people's lives being turned upside down uh there's a lot of silver lining opportunities and experiences especially with kids uh and spending more time uh, with them and having moments like that. So that was a pretty raw and authentic experience that I had this past week. Absolutely. That, that's fantastic. That was, uh, I, I have chills and I don't even have kids. So <laughs> that, that, those are chills just for your kids. Uh, thank you so much for, for joining me, Anthony. I, I really appreciated our, our chat and, uh, you know, as this grows and hopefully it does, we'll bring you back on and we'll have another conversation about your legs. Hopefully not. My pleasure, Zachary. <laughs> Thanks for having me. This has been a, an amazing opportunity. So thank you. My chat with Anthony was a blast and also a little self-serving. Of course, I love hearing that he was able to do his podcast at 250OK as a passion project, but how many marketers are able to pursue passion projects like that? And is it even worth it? Well, I'm about to get really meta and have you listen to a snippet of Joe Wadlington of Twitter on the exact subject. And even better, it's from our sister show, The Casted Podcast. Here it is. Two takeaways that I learned from the process of launching and iterating on character count are that it's important to take marketing risks and it's important to experiment. And maybe even the term risk scares people a little bit too much, but to be able to do passion projects and to do things that may not be immediately clear how it goes toward the bottom line. I think they're worth the time that a marketing team puts into them, both for the professional development of the people that are on that team and for being good marketing citizens and creating marketing that is interesting and that is lively. And, you know, we're all consuming ads all the time and we're all looking at what each other are doing and putting out there. And so sometimes you may not want to do a marketing thing because you haven't seen any of your peers do it. But then as soon as you do that, uh, more companies are going to start doing the same thing and they will chase you to that new ground because there's another marketer in a different building who is so excited that you put that out there so that they can finally show their boss and, and do that thing. So I think experimenting is worth a business's time and you don't always need to know why something is being done or what the end goal is. You can measure things after they've been done. And sometimes my team makes 
an experiment every single quarter. And the worst ones we've done still performed like medium. You know, we haven't had a single flop. We're too good of marketers to have a flop. You have to trust yourself in that. And even if something doesn't perform well, that is such valuable information. Knowing that your audience didn't like something or didn't respond well to it or the time of day was off, the medium was off, the launch was off. Having those lessons of what doesn't work is just as helpful. So there you have it. Complete permission and recommendation to pursue your passion projects. If you want to get even more meta and hear more from Joe Wadlington, well, tune in next week where he and I chat about etiquette and not how you'd assume we're going to talk about etiquette. At the end of every show, we are showcasing the most important part of our show, you. We ask new questions every week, and we want your most authentic answers. We want them in any form, audio, video, writing, TikToks, if you send them to our interns so they can explain them to us. We want to highlight you. Email us at the tick at casted.us, hit us up at Twitter at GoCasted, or hit up our Driftbot at casted.us slash the tick. However, this week, we forgot to ask a question. That's right. We just plain forgot. So we're ending this on a whoopsie. We can't wait to hear from you next week. Insert smiley face emoji here. <laughs> if you'd like to hear more of the interview between Lindsay Chepkema and Joe Wadlington, check out the Casted podcast, Peeling Back the Curtain of Character Count. You can find it linked below in the related resources. A huge thank you to our guest, Anthony Cioli of Iterable, our producer, Holly Pels, our audio engineer, Tommy Nichols, and our designer, Byron Elliott. Have a great Independence Day weekend and stay authentic. Ooh.